What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Today's episode is with Don Davis. Don is the chairman and founder of the Professional Fighters League. The MMA organization has raised $200 million and is currently valued at $500 million. We discussed the growth of MMA as a global sport, their plan to steal market share from the UFC, the future of media rights, why this can be a multi-billion dollar company, and more. I really enjoyed this conversation with Don, and I hope that you do too. But before we get into it, let's quickly run through today's sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Whoop. I've been wearing a Whoop for several years now, and it has made a massive difference in my life. It's the only tech product that I wear 24-7, so it's pretty cool to see people like Patrick Mahomes, Rory McIlroy, Michael Phelps, and Justin Bieber wearing one also. Whoop automatically measures your respiratory rate, oxygen level, resting heart rate, heart rate variability, calories, and activity levels throughout the day. Sure, it might sound complex, but Whoop interprets the data for you so it's easy to digest and actionable. And now, their 4.0 is officially back in stock and shipping in real time. But here's the best part. Whoop is offering my listeners 15% off their Whoop 4.0 right now with the code Joe at checkout. So go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P.com and enter Joe at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, train smarter, and now feel healthier with Whoop. Next up is 8sleep. 8sleep has dramatically improved my daily performance. For me, I was never able to get a good sleep because I was always too hot. But now, I am falling asleep in record time, faster than I have before, all thanks to my 8sleep Pod Pro cover. The Pod Pro cover by 8sleep is the most advanced solution on the market for thermoregulation. You can add the cover to any mattress. The temperature regulation will create the optimal sleeping environment by adjusting to each side of the bed based on personalized sleep stages, biometrics, and bedroom temperature. The results are proven to be true. 8sleep users fall asleep up to 32% faster, reduce sleep interruptions by 40%, and get overall more restful sleep. And it's not just me who sleeps on an 8sleep. The product is so good that it's garnered the attention of CEOs, Olympians, UFC champions, and even the Mercedes F1 racing team. So go to 8sleep.com Joe, that's J-O-E, for exclusive Memorial Day savings through June 6. Cool down this summer with 8sleep, now shipping within the USA, UK, Canada, and Australia. Joe Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of Joe Pompliano and his guests are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion by Joe or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, let's get into this episode. All right, Don, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great, Joe. Thanks for having me on. Of course. I want to get right into it. You are building the Professional Fighters League, which I think is very innovative, and you're challenging a lot of the norms that are out there today, not only with trying to build a new professional sports league, but there's an existing one that some people might have heard of called the UFC, small little you know, 5 or $10 billion business these days exactly. that you are trying to disrupt and be additive to. First, let's start with like why, right? For people who don't know your background, you're an investor, you're an entrepreneur, you, you've had a lot of success. You, have your, you went to law school, you've done a bunch of things outside of this. Why did you say, hey, I want to go build this league? Yeah, look, it's a great question. And I've spent 30-year career building all disruptive companies. 15 years as an entrepreneur, 15 years as a venture capitalist. And I'm minding my own business the day that UFC sells for $4 billion. You know, it's worth $11 billion today. And like a lot of people, I said, huh, I didn't think it was that big. And I put everything aside for my work that day. And that night I called my wife and I said, hey, I'm starting a new MMA league. She goes, hey, that's great. But you don't watch any MMA. And I watch 20 or 30 hours of sports a week. 
But I learned three things that day, and they're the three truisms that we built the league on. Number one, 600 million fans in MMA. That's the third biggest fan base in all of sports globally. Not United States, but globally. Soccer one, basketball two. Number three, they're underserved and undermonetized. UFC, great company, but they get 30 events a year, a total of a billion revenue. There's 3,200 soccer matches, 6,000 basketball games, and both those are 30 billion in revenue. So under-monetized, underserved, total fan base. And number three is it wasn't even a sport yet. It's still based on the Don King matchmaker boxing model, which is great entertainment. But unless you have meritocracy, best beats best, win, advance, lose, and go, you don't have a sport. LeBron had a crap year. What if Adam Silver in the NBA, the commissioner said, LeBron, you got the most social media followers. You're our biggest star. Come on into the playoffs. That's not what sport is. So those are the three things I saw that day. So I started is probably the biggest opportunity for this decade in global intellectual property or global sports content, period. Now, I've come to love MMA later and truly admire these athletes, but it was first a big business opportunity. Okay. So fast forward, I don't know what year specifically that was, but a few years ago, it sounds like. Yeah, 2018. 2018. Okay. So, so fast forward four years, how big is the business today? What are we looking at from just like a size distribution audience perspective? Yeah. So give you four quick metrics. One of the ones that you measure all sports by first of all, athlete quality, even though our brand is not well known, 25% of our roster is ranked at the top 25 in the world. The exact same percentage as UFC. Now we don't have a pay-per-view division yet. So we don't have a Conor McGregor. We don't have a John Jones. But if you look, turn on TV Saturday, UFC, your turn on TV Friday, PFL, exact same media product, athlete quality. That's unheard of. So we're not a second-rate league. Number two, distribution. We're on ESPN primetime. UFC's on ESPN primetime. We're in 160 countries worldwide with one of the top three media partners in every country. Same for UFC. And number three, audience. PFL is 25% of the TV and streaming audience of UFC. What? We're in year four. We're in fourth grade. They're in year 30. That's like five postdoctorate degrees or something. So in just four years against 30 years, we already have 25% of their audience. And last of all, just the video product. We're more innovative. Everything from ref cam to ghost cam to prop gambling to the proprietary smart cage. So our product, many people think, is called more modern next gen. So those are the four measurements of any underlying content or sports or media company. And in four years, I think most people are, are pretty blown away by our progress, but we're never happy. We're always doing more and more and more. And that's why this, this new fundraise. Gotcha. And are there any things that you pointed to with, let's use the UFC for an example, not to give them a hard time, but they are the biggest player in the space. And I think it's probably more of recognition at this point. Is there anything that you look at their business and you say, hey, this can be better and this is something that we're going to focus on for our business? Yeah. Look, as, as my 92-year-old dad says, everybody's business is easy until it's yours. <laughs> so I try to focus on building PFL to be the best option it could be for fighters and fans. This is not, there will be one winner. Remember, there are nine Nine soccer leagues with over $2 billion of revenue each in the country, in the world. Most people forget this. MLS is the smallest of the nine soccer leagues, and Premier League is the biggest in the world. So UFC is just the first winner. There will be three or four other multi-billion dollar winners in MMA. So from our viewpoint, we look at it as differentiated product. Remember, we're the sports season format, regular season, 
playoff and championship. A winner is determined by winning four times in the cage, not by BS, politics, social media followings, matchups. Second of all, we innovated like nobody else. Most of the six to eight innovations we've done, UFC is not even copied yet. Product is much more modern. So very differentiated. And number two, it's an option. Half of our fans are UFC fans. Half are new. They're stick and ball fans that are new. Why? They kind of understand March Madness meets MMA. Champions, underdogs, lower seeds, higher seeds, journeys that you follow through the season. Like, I'm not a big college basketball fan, but I watch March Madness because I like that format and I understand those stories. Same with a lot of people who are new to MMA. They come to PFL first. I understand the season format. I understand when in advance. I can pick and follow fighters. So I don't view it as us versus them, good versus bad. I view it as we're the second winner and we're a differentiated option. And I think that's what ESPN saw. Remember, they've done two media deals with PFL after they signed the big UFC deal. So we're side by side on ESPN with that differentiated choice. Yeah. And how do you think about the traditional media rights versus pay-per-view? I know you guys are looking into or will be doing pay-per-view soon. Talk to me about the breakdown of like the pros and cons of each of those and how you guys think about it long term. Yeah. MMA is particularly fascinating when you look at the business side of it. Think of, uh, I'm going to be very simple, a third of the revenue coming from three different places, U.S. media rights, international media rights, and pay-per-view. Most sport businesses really only have number one, U.S. media rights. They don't have buckets two or three. Why UFC or MMA is such a great business is you have all three of those major revenue streams activated, about a third, a third, a third. PFL is the only other option, and there's eight buyers of media or streaming. So I'm talking about linear streaming in the US alone. There's six buyers in every country. Okay, let's go to Mexico. Let's go to France. Let's go to India. And they only have two choices, UFC or PFL. So the media rights have been increasing 100% a year for UFC and for PFL. If you think about the comparison to the NFL for a minute, the NFL and the Power Five football conferences are on 13 networks. That's how much supply it is. Now, it's super high valued, but there's plenty of saturation. Bellator, which is the third and only global company, is owned by Viacom CBS. So it's just sitting there on Showtime. It'll sit there on Showtime forever. I mean, the only two independent companies are UFC and PFL, and they're both on ESPN. So you got Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google, Fox, NBC, Comcast, Peacock, all these people that don't have any MMA, and they now understand this is a mainstream sport. It's the top providing sport on ESPN+, Plus, number one producer for ESPN+. Plus. So now that MMA is mainstream and now it's a scarce sport, this media time is going to be very interesting for PFL as well as UFC. Gotcha. That's interesting. And when you think about it from a pure investment standpoint, right? You guys have raised, I believe, a couple hundred million dollars at this point, and the business is valued at half a billion dollars. You recently raised $30 million from a group of investors that included Alex Rodriguez and others. These investors investing this kind of money obviously need this business to work in their economic model to be a billion-dollar business plus, right? Just, just given the returns that they're used to making and they're, they're probably expecting out of a deal like this. How do you get to that valuation? Yeah, most sports teams in the last three years have traded for an average of 10 times revenue. And those are teams. A league is way more valuable because a league controls intellectual property. 
A league sets its own schedule where it can be distributed, and a league in MMA is international. So the value of the revenue produced, call it at UFC or PFL, is at least 10 times revenue. MMA as a category today, if you added Bellator, PFL, and UFC is only a billion five. That's going to $5 billion. Is it five years? Is it seven years? I'm not smart enough to know the time frame, but I'm absolutely certain on the amount. Having built a lot of companies, too big of audience, too much growth, too much new monetization. So the amount of money to be divided in this category is growing three times faster than the five big sports. It, you know, if I include the five big leagues of the EPL in that. So if we do our job and we build a brand and we build an audience, and we build a great product, it's going to be a great place to make money. Have you guys publicly released how much revenue you're doing now? Is it, is it 50 million? I don't know. You said, you said a, you know, a 10 X multiple. I'm just trying to figure it out in my head. I don't know if it's public or if you can say it, but feel free to do one or the other. <laughs> yes. We have not released that yet. Okay. All right, fair enough. But you can imagine based on some of the stuff that you've said. Okay, so that's interesting. And one of the points that I want to talk a little bit more about is the idea that there can be a few different winners in MMA, right? And I think that North American sports fans probably have a harder time grasping this than international sports fans because of the leagues that we're given here, right? We're provided with, which are the NFL, the NBA, MLB, et cetera. And those are kind of winner take all, right? Yep. We've seen spring football hasn't really caught on here. They've tried this for hundred years now, almost it feels like, yep. and other leagues relative to football or baseball, et cetera. You mentioned earlier that you think there can be several leagues based on the soccer model where there's eight or nine leagues that are all worth a billion dollars or more. Can you walk me through that and like why exactly you think that? Yeah, look, first of all, great observation, great question. Soccer and MMA share two things in common. So I think soccer provides a blueprint of how the MMA business might evolve. Soccer is 160 years old today. MMA is 30 years old today. So it's almost like asking your older brother about the test. You, know, you can learn a little something about the future. 85% of the soccer audience globally is outside the U.S., the exact same percentage as MMA. 85% of the MMA audience is outside the U.S., true global sport. Same with the athlete match. About 30 countries produce top soccer athletes. About 30 countries produce top MMA fighters. So it's a non-U.S.-centric, non-U.S.-dominated sport. So therefore, the media is valuable many, many places. The fan base is watching and producing revenue from many, many places. And you have to have global leagues to service that. So that's why soccer has evolved with nine or 10 leagues. You have everything from Bunza League to MX to Lalinga to even Champions League, which is not even a league. It's just a synthetic media product to, to have the winners of all of them. And I think you will see that evolve like MMA. At the very least, what I said earlier is the number of products much expand. UFC giving 30 fight events a year to those 600 million fans. There's probably 300 or 400 fight events that can support that audience base, that big. So will UFC do that? Will UFC and PFL do that? Will UFC PFL plus one new entrant do that? Typically, in any new market, you have two companies that are very, very big and a third company that's still there and producing and profitable. It's how almost every market in the world has ever evolved, except natural state-run monopolies. And MMA will not be any different than that. 
And these indices from soccer about how the fans and the audience overlay globally is, I think, real support to that. What's the hardest thing about building this business? And maybe I'll ask more specifically around like the early stages or things around that, right? I think a lot of people yeah. look at building sports leagues and they're like, oh, that's fucking cool, man. Like, that'd be great to do. Yeah. But it's extremely difficult, obviously. Otherwise, everyone would do it. Talk me through a little bit of the challenges you guys face getting this off the ground and where you are today. Uh, another great question, Joe. Think of it as a triangle. Any sports league, whether it's the NBA today or the PFL starting out, need three things to work really well. You need great athletes, great media distribution, and fan demand, right? They, you actually need an excess of fans. And then the fourth, money, money, okay? So here we had excess fan demand. A lot of times what we're seeing in football, the last 20 years when people have started, there's no more fan demand. They've got a lot of great American football. So let's focus on the other three, money, media, athletes. Well, the money doesn't want to invest until you have top distribution and top athletes. The athletes don't want to come until you're fully funded and you have top media. The media doesn't want to give you a carriage deal until you have top athletes and all your money. So there's three parties staring at you, the league, and saying, do you have it all pulled together? So you must somehow get all three of those things done simultaneously, and you must keep doing that every year. You must get more money. You must get better distribution and you must get better athletes in order to keep doing what the PFL's done. That's why since the UFC started 30 years ago, there's not one new major sports league. And you have to go all the way back to the early 1970s to the AFL or the ABA. When Julius Irving was a great player, but didn't have a place to play, right? There weren't enough outlets for him. Joe Namath, not enough outlets for him, right? There were too few a teams not enough media contract supply. So you have to look at those kind of three supply and demand. Fans want more. Are there excess athletes? And does the media want more in order to pull those together? And PFL did that. And we've increased and enhanced that every year. So that brings up an interesting point, right? You mentioned the ABA, the AFL, all of those, Julius Irving, Joe Namath, all of those people. But eventually they played for the bigger league, right? How does that work with the PFL? Is this something where you guys are, are struggling to retain stars or you have to consistently raise new money to afford them? Like, just talk me through, imagine someone comes in, they win their first five, six, seven fights, they're undefeated, they're really promising, they're obviously a great athlete, great fighter, et cetera. I'm assuming the UFC comes calling. How does that work between your contracts, their contracts, and the pay disparity? Yeah, great question. If you look at any athlete, they want three things. And then let's talk about what the PFL does about that. They want to compete on the biggest distribution stage. Who's going to see me? Number two, can I make the most money, right? And number three, do I have control, right? Am I in a situation that's good for me? What does the PFL do about those three things for fighters? We're actually a better option than UFC. Number one, same distribution globally and United States. Never happened in MMA ever. Every other league was minor, small maybe not even on TV, second-rate TV, maybe only in the U.S., maybe only in U.K. We're the only globally premium provider. One second. Yeah. I want to challenge that for a second. Is sure. that true even for the, the top athletes, right? Say if you're 
let's use Francis Ngannou for an example here, yeah. right? Because I've actually had him on the podcast. I think his his contract dispute is pretty public at this point. He's talked about it many times. He wants other things outside of that, right? He, he wants the flexibility to go box. He wants different things. But exactly. if we just think about it in the context of what we're talking about here. I'm going to get to that last. I'm just saying on the, on the first point of distribution, the PFL can offer you everything that UFC can offer you. So we're at no disadvantage, just on will people see you distribution-wise. Number two, let's get to money. You make the same per fight in PFL that you do at UFC. We pay the same, except for you can make a million-dollar prize if you're champion. Well, you've covered enough MMA to know million dollars is big money. In our research, only a dozen fighters outside of pay-per-view have ever fought for a million dollars at UFC in 30 years. We have had 18 million-dollar checks cashed in three years as champions. So you can make more money, except if you're Conor McGregor, if you're 599 fighters in the UFC, make more money in the PFL. But the third thing to your point, Joe, I believe this is where PFL is the winning option going forward. Control, flexibility, fighter first. What do I mean by that? The fighter controls their own destiny in PFL. Not Don Davis, not Peter Murray, not Ray Sefo. Joe comes into the PFL. Joe becomes champion if he wins. Flat out. Doesn't matter if you're my friend, if I like you, your social media followers, the country you're from, whether you speak good English or not, you fight, you win, you're champion, period. Number two, flexibility and innovation. Why did Kayla Harrison resign with PFL? Other than Amanda Nunes and Chris Cyborg, there's only three stars in the world and Kayla's the third. We listened to what she wanted and she wants the ability to fight the best in the world. Well, the best in the world is only one at UFC. There's one at Bellator, and then she's here. We said we'll make any cross-promotion fight on any planet, on any terms, on any platform, any day. We will do what nobody else will ever do. Other people like Clarissa Shields, why did she come to PFL over UFC? Flexibility. Do you want to box? Do you want to do MMA? How do you want your career to evolve? How do you want them to work together in terms of timing? We'll curate and develop you, and you call it your Bo Jackson path to try to do them both. So to me, the flexibility and innovation that we're not from the MMA world with kind of dogma is a very attractive because you can be the best you can be as a fighter in MMA in a way that we help you further your goals, your goals of money, your goals of success, your goals of other pursuits. From my knowledge, right, the stars are really the people that move the needle in some of these businesses. They're the ones that get people to, in other cases, buy pay-per-view, but get people to watch the events, buy tickets, buy merchandise, et cetera. How do you guys think and what is your process about not only developing those stars, but going to get them, whether they reach free agency or not? Yeah, two parts to it. If you think about the media world that we talked about before in media deals and then pay-per-view, no fighter for a belt and no fighter who's a star in UFC has ever fought on the TV deal for ESPN. You can't name anybody who's fought on the TV deal. Tune in Saturday night. You're an average fan. You can't name any of them. Are they good fights? Yes. Are they exciting fights? Yes. Are they high quality fighters? Yes. Same at PFL. But they're not any of the name brands. There's only 10 people you can name in UFC. If you're an average fan of the 600 fighters, none of those have ever fought on TV. They're 100% pay-per-view fighters. So the real question you're asking is, how does PFL launch a pay-per-view division and how are we going to recruit name stars? And that's the announcement we made last Thursday. And that's the work we're starting over the next year. Kayla Harrison is absolutely in that category, but she's our only one fighter in that category. 
So we are now officially A, open for business and B, offering fighters a different partnership model to do just what you said, Joe, start to disrupt a very old and very tired pay-per-view model. How does that business work, right? Just so, I mean, this is more selfishly I want to learn. Like, are those contracts really expensive? Are they moderately expensive? Are they cheaper than I would expect? Just talk me through kind of how you actually go, the economics of approaching a star and trying to get them to come join your league. Yeah. First of all, at the top level, all fighter contracts are exclusive, regardless where you fight, UFC or PFL. You know, you typically have a two-year contract, you know, or a certain number of fights. Number two is they specify you get paid a certain amount. And then if you're on pay-per-view, you would participate a certain percentage of the profits of your individual fight if you're one of the two headline fighters. If you're not one of the two headline fighters, people aren't paying $60 to see you. Who promoted Hagler Hearns? I don't remember. I just wanted to see Hagler Hearns. So they should participate in the profits of that pay-per-view fight. So that's how the contracts work in the MMA industry. Now, specifically, what PFL will be doing differently is there's been a lot of noise. And you can do a five-second Google search to see the noise of, call it the 10 pay-per-view stars saying, hey, hold on, man. Fans are are buying the card because of me. I'm not sharing enough in the profits of pay-per-view. We are going to make them 50-50 true partners financially in their pay-per-view fights. 50% of the revenue that comes to PFL, we will split with the headline fighters. That's unheard of. Who got that? Mayweather, because he was his own promoter. He worked outside the system. That's why he's the only buddy in combat sports who makes the top 20 list of most wealthy athletes in the world. He did it. He bet on himself. What we're now facilitating in MMA is if you're a disruptor, a pioneer, an innovator, you're somebody who says, hey, I want to bet on myself and I want to get a 50-50 share and I want to put my money where my mouth is. PFL does everything else that UFC does today. And starting in 2023, we're open for business to do those deals with free agents that are out of their contracts. There's a lot of opinions about the pay model specifically at UFC, right? I think that they've been one of the largest knocks against them as an organization is the fighter pay. People talk about it all the time, whether it's their existing fighters, whether it's fans of the sport, whether it's people like Jake Paul or other people, right? It's just a, it's a common thing that people always bring up. Why do you think that they haven't been able to shake that that theme, right, or that that feeling. Is it something that they're unwilling to do because now they're a publicly traded company and they have investors and people to answer to? Or is it something where you truly don't believe that the economic model works if they were to increase those fees to fighters? Yeah. And, and I think, you know, once again, to quote my 92-year-old dad, everybody thinks they're underpaid. <laughs> you do. I do. <laughs> he did. He was a salesman, right? So I think there's a human nature. Yeah of we all would like to make more money. So I think that's an undercurrent we all have to keep in mind. My second comment would be, people who build companies take a huge amount of risk. The people that built UFC took a huge amount of risk. Investors too. And the investors and the principals and the employees and and due respect is needed, I I think, to understand that and, and continued owners of that. And then my third and final comment would be, today is the best day to be an MMA fighter. You have two great options. If it was a one-company town, it's now a two-company town. You don't have any, anything to complain about. You don't like your deal? Go to free agency and talk to somebody else called PFL. And between PFL and UFC, the difference between having two negotiating people and one is 100x, as we know in any business. 
If you go to sell your company, you got two bidders, it's like having 100 bidders. If you get two job offers instead of one, it's like having 100 job offers. So to me, if I'm an MMA fighter today, best day of my life, best day of my career. I have two great options. And if I'm happy at UFC, good for me. If I want to explore my options, good day also. Yeah, I think the the risk is an important point that you made there, right? Not only the operators of the business and the founders of the business and the employees and principals, everyone you mentioned, but I often think about venture capitalists in this scenario, right? Because they get a very bad rap sometimes from people, oh, this business has raised a bunch of venture capital, they have good financing and all of this, but ultimately that's risk capital, right? You have to think about it in the in the essence of like, they're the only ones that would bet on this business typically with their own dollars. No one else is going to do it. So they need to be rewarded for that if things do go well. Because in a lot of scenarios, as you know, as a venture capitalist yourself, they don't go well. And it's extremely difficult to judge which way it's going to go. So I get that for sure. My other point would be, how did the investment with Alex Rodriguez come together? Yeah, we were, we were connected by a mutual friend who I've done a lot of business with in the past. And Alex was interested in growth sports. He takes his business career as seriously as he took his baseball career, does his homework, comes prepared, and is very smart. And he was looking for growth investments in sports. And our mutual connection said, let me tell you the biggest growth sport of this decade, MMA. <laughs> and you can't invest in the UFC. It's a public company. Let me, give you, let me give you an introduction to what I believe is the best opportunity. And Alex and I you know, did a couple sessions on Zoom. And as I said, I have dozens of billionaires that I interact with in the business. Alex was as smart, as prepared, as on it as any of them. There's good mutual traction. And we also have a lot of investors. I was so impressed. I said, will you join the board of directors? Help work with me with your network and platform, build the company. And, and he said, yes. So I'm really looking forward to you know, less his investment and more his hands-on business building as a board member. Yeah. At some point, the capital can come from a bunch of different sources, right? Absolutely. Yeah. If you're successful, the money will come. He's really only, call it hands-on in the Timberwolves and in, in PFL right now. So I think it's, it's super cool and, and I'm going to make sure and not let him down. <laughs> I love that. How have other traditional sports investors looked at a deal like this? I know you've raised money from other sports owners or team owners, stuff like that. How did they think about deals like this relative to existing large sports leagues? Yeah, super interesting question. We have eight sports team owners as investors in the PFL. And for them, I believe, think of it as a portfolio. We all have our portfolio of investments. Even if you have $1,000, you know, how do you invest that $1,000? And they looked at MMA as global, whereas their existing sport is mostly US. They looked at it as high growth, whereas their existing sport is probably modest growth. And they looked at it as the youngest demo, Remember, MMA is age 36. Whether they're invested in basketball, that's the next youngest, 45, but baseball's 58. So this is the sport of the future. So it's almost like, what if you didn't have any tech and you're investing $1,000 portfolio? You should have some tech, right? So I think they sat down and said, growth sport of the next decade, I should have some of that in my sport portfolio. Gotcha. And lastly, I want to talk about failure points, right? Like where things can go wrong. Cause I think this is obviously something important to think about. And I'm sure it's something that you have spent or spend a lot of your time thinking about, right? Just being precautious. Why do you think other leagues have failed? And, and how are you guys, I guess, going about those, those issues or those complex decisions as they come up? Yeah, I, I'm an optimistic realist. So I'm always focused on what we must achieve for our next level of success. 
the most important thing we have done, which is if your product is not great, if your product is second class, you cannot build a great league. The USFL product is not the Big Ten football. It's not the SEC football. It can't be a great business because the product is second class. So you can always do a lot of other things later. I've learned in building dozens of companies, but your product must be great. And everyone that's seen 30 minutes of the PFL product says, damn, that's a great product. From everything from exciting fighters to format to production to innovation. So for us, number one was product. And then number two was distribution. Can anybody find you? <laughs> Super hard in this world. And, and we did that. So to me, if you say, what are the, the two things you had to get done? We got them done. But now what do I worry about from here? Scale, right? We want to become a co-leader in MMA. We're not there yet. And what's the biggest obstacle? Most people don't know our brand. We have been scrappy. We have been the underdogs. We are still the new kid on the block. We get that. Our marketing budget this year is zero. UFC, 200 million. So with this capital and future other things that we'll do, we need to grow our brand. So while our product is in college, that brand is still in fourth grade. <laughs> we, need to, we need to spend. We need to grow. We need to raise awareness. And so to me, that is on our to-do list of scaling the brand, but the product and distribution are in place. All right. I'll, uh, I'll leave you with two quick questions to end it. You, you can only answer yes or no. You ready? Okay. And I'm going to ask you if two individuals will ever fight for the PFL. Francis and Ganu. Well, let's assume these questions are... That's not a yes or no. <laughs> no but I'm saying on all these questions, I want to preference it to, we are such a blue chip company that unlike others, we don't tamper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't I, talk out of order. If they were to become we a free agent, would you guys be interested in more of a fun and jest so, type of way rather than... So I have to give you that caveat of, you know... No tamper, blue chip, respect all. I'm going to give you that caveat. Now you can give me your yeses and nos. All right. Francis Ngannou. Yes. Jake Paul. Yes. Wow. Okay. Those were my only two. But you said yes to both. Will they fight each other? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. No. I would pay whatever the no. pay-per-view price is for that. No. No. That, that would be amazing. Well, that'd be interesting for sure. Obviously, they're they're both in different circumstances. Francis is under contract still, but there's things in the news that that obviously people are, are worried about or thinking about. So I respect your stance on saying that you don't want to tamper with anyone, but I think it's an interesting time to run an MMA business and be an MMA fighter. So it's great, as I said. Yeah, PFL will not be for every fighter, but we're a hundred percent a fighters league, and we want to create a solution for every great fighter to be happy here, to make money here and do what they want here. I love it. I love it. Don, thank you so much for doing this. If we do make these fights happen, I will certainly come watch in person rather than pay-per-view, but hopefully I can make it up for the, the fight in August. We'll have to make that work too. Yeah, championship fight and see these like signed gloves. I got my Clarissa and Kayla signed gloves. You will get those in person when you attend. <laughs> I love it. That'd be awesome. Where can I send people to find out more about the PFL, whether the fights or they just want to learn more about the league. Yeah, it's great. If you're a Twitter or an Instagram person, it's PFL MMA. If you're a Facebook person, it's PFL MMA. If you're just a website person, P 
PFLMMA.com. And if you're on TV, ESPN main channel or ESPN Plus starts back up June 17th, the regular season, and it'll end the day after Thanksgiving. So for the next six months, ESPN, ESPN Plus. That actually, I got one more question. I lied. Lastly, ESPN, how big of a deal was it to get with ESPN versus other partners? Like, even if they're not paying the most, I feel like there's an advantage to ESPN versus other partners. Just talk me through your thought process there real quick. Worldwide leader of sports. Yeah. It's the best sports outlet in the world, number one. And number two, what most people probably don't yet know is the future simulcast. So we're on ESPN main channel, the best linear outlet, but we're on ESPN plus at the same time. So however you watch the PFL streaming or broadcast, your choice, not either or. And they are an understandable visionary of how the sports consumer is going. And so not only are they the best, they're currently the most visionary in terms of how sports should be. So look, 2022 and 2023, those two years were with ESPN, Jimmy Pitar and Burke Magnus, great partners. Yeah, I think it's interesting that people forget, yeah, cable subscribers are dropping at an alarming rate and specifically ESPN because they're the most expensive ones of those, but they're adding even more people on the digital side, which is just as impressive and what they've done, not only with yourselves and UFC have obviously been a big part of that strategy. It seems like they're betting on MMA as a whole, really saying that this sport is going to continue to grow. It's global. All the points that you mentioned, right? It seems like that worldwide leader in sports thinks about it in a similar fashion and, and is really betting on the sport also. Yeah, no question. Look, UFC is the number one provider and performers I mentioned. PFL, this is our first year on Plus. We're in the top 10. Yeah. And once again, our brand is very, very new. So to me, this MMA fan is sneakily now catching up to everybody as a major sport, not a emerging, but now a major. I love it. I love it. Don, thank you again, man. This is great. I know you could be doing a million other things with your time, trying to build a business and stuff. So no, not I appreciate you. it. Thank you so much for doing this and, and we will do it again soon. Okay. Take care. All right, everyone. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, I appreciate you listening to the Joe Pomp show. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify so that you don't miss any episodes going forward. And if you are looking for additional content, Check out my daily newsletter at readhuddleup.com or follow me on Twitter at Joe Pompliano. I hope you have a great day and I'll see you next time.